Today's sermon text is John 20th chapter, 19th through the 29th verse. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is God's word. Thanks, Tendria. If y'all don't know Tendria, you should get to know her. She's amazing. I love you, my friend. Um, Well, nothing says parenting like Jesus appearing to his disciples before the ascension. So thanks for coming. Um, Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, they didn't know why they're asking me to do this. But um, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much um, upon hearing that I'm the one speaking today for not getting up and leaving. I really, really appreciate that. Sit down, Steve. Okay, so um, I love this passage of scripture. I love love Thomas. I often try to kind of insert myself into a lot of these stories and just sort of imagine like if I'd been hanging with Jesus back then. Do you ever do this? Am I the only one? I'm a little bit sanguine, so I like to do that. I love just kind of imagining if I were there. You know, he's got John, the one he loved, Peter the Zealot. I would have been like Denise, who he hushed. You know what I mean? Like, every time he did anything, I'd be like, wait, what? Why are we cursing? That Wait, what is happening right now? I just feel like I would constantly be grounded by Jesus. But I love Thomas, and I love Thomas in this passage of Scripture, and this speaks to me so much. We have had such an amazing series with parenting over the last few weeks. How many of you guys were at the Saturday morning with um, Dr. Holler? I love his last name, by the way. But anyway, Holler. Anyway, I love him. He was awesome. We had driven home for like 12 or 13,000 hours um, home from Orlando the day before, and I was exhausted, but we still didn't want him to quit talking. He was absolutely amazing. I kind of want to pull one of his things and tell you that I'm scared and I'm insecure. And anyway, remember he did that before he talked? I'm not funny. Um, anyway, But um, I love so much of what he said, and then building off of that, Robert, Chris, Becky, last week, it was all so amazing. So this is going to be your down week. Lower your expectations. It's fine. You can remember the others, and it'll be good. But let's just jump right right into here. How many of you guys have struggled with doubt? you got to talk to me. This is how we do it at youth. I don't want to have to talk to you like teenagers. How many of you have struggled with doubt recently? Anything about God, about you, self-doubt? We did this art class the other night um, for my niece's birthday. It was so much fun. we had to paint abstractly, and if you know me at all, I'm about as abstract as a piece of concrete, so it was super hard for me. But she held up this one picture at the beginning, and it was a picture that a child had done. And it was so cute, because it was like, you know, the classic, like, 
I mean, there was just stuff everywhere. There was no, like, you know, spatial, I don't know. Nothing was right. Do you know what I'm saying? Nothing was the right size. It didn't make sense. Like, the dog was the same size as the house. I suppose that could happen, but it's a little weird. There was no room on the grass for, like, the horse. So, of course, he floats in the air. That's where you put a horse. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Like, the sky was the wrong color. The sun was weird. Like, the stars were bigger than the sun. It was just messed up. And when we're little kids, that's sort of how we are. It's just, we're, oh, you're so imaginative. If you want to draw a picture and you want to paint the sky purple with orange polka dots, you are so creative. Do that. And then something happens when we get to about fifth or sixth grade and we become super aware of ourselves. Or maybe we should say super aware of those that are around us. Anybody remember fifth or sixth grade? It was a dream, wasn't it? I hated sixth grade. I absolutely despised sixth grade. I just want to go to like all of my kids' schools and like rescue them from sixth grade. It was awful. Oh, and my kid's going next year, heart palpitations. Anyway, I hated it. And it was around that age, I know this is a huge generalization, so it's not true necessarily for every person, but I think for most of us, when we reach those early middle school years, something happened to us. And all of a sudden, it quit being great and cool and imaginative and wonderful to stand out. Now, all of a sudden, we were very aware of ourselves. We doubted ourselves. We don't want to stand out. We just want to what? Fit in. I don't want to be noticed. I just want to blend in with everybody else. And I love as she said that because that's the age group that I usually get. By the time kids are in fifth and sixth grade, a lot of them have been raised in church, but they're reaching a time in their life where they're starting to doubt everything that they've been taught. That can be really scary as a parent. All my parents are teenagers, they're like, yes, amen, help. Yeah, I don't have a teenager, so sorry. But I really, 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 really love teenagers. I absolutely love my job. And there's something strange about getting a child come into our student ministry and they're really wrestling with what they believe. I know it can be scary as a parent, but it's also extremely exciting because this is your child wrestling and struggling through their salvation. This is them working it out. What is it that I believe? This is them figuring out that God actually doesn't have grandkids. They don't get in because you are. Now it becomes this personal relationship of do I know Jesus? And I love that. I find myself like even, even grabbing from some of the, the stories in the Word that don't necessarily have the pretty happy ending tied up in a bow. Everybody ends up happy. Everybody remember going to the movies in the 80s? Yes? yes. Come on. Yes? yes? How many of y'all know, we did not go to the movies in the 80s to have like real reality, right? We went to see Gremlins, yes? You didn't leave E.T. going, oh, come on. You left it going, that was awesome, right? Nobody walked out of Back to the Future going, DeLoreans totally don't do that, right? You left to like escape reality. It was just fun. Everything was bananas. And if a movie did really well, that's when they decided to make a sequel. Otherwise, they would have rethought through names like Back to the Future. They didn't know there was going to be two and three and that they really wouldn't make any sense, right? Yes? I still remember we were in Lake Placid um, one December long, long ago before I was married with 19,000 children, but a long time ago, and Chris and I had gone to see Lord of the Rings. Do you remember this? We went to see Lord of the Rings at the theater. Um, I hear that's based on a book. I'm not positive, but um, we hadn't read that one yet. That's ne totally next on the list. I'm getting right to it. How long ago was this? 15 years ago? Anyway, so we went to this movie. We knew that it was based on um, a series of books. Probably I'd be lying if I told you we knew how many and that we had read any of those pages. He's probably read them since, but we're still cranking through Harry Potter. But anyway, so we went to this movie and we're watching it and it's like 20 hours long. It's like Casablanca, sound of music, all of them smushed together, no intermission. We left, I had three new wrinkles, I celebrated two birthdays. And we were like, oh my God, the season's changed. Like it was so long, right? 
We're sitting in the movie theater, and I know that it's part one of three, but at least the directors in the 80s had the decency to give you a good ending, right? Right? People got married. The bad guy died. The aliens left us alone. America won. No, I'm kidding. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, super realistic stuff like Armageddon. Yeah. So we, we, we go to this movie. We're sitting there. I'm, I'm on the struggle bus. I'm tired. I'm hungry. It's really cold. It's, it's cold in Lake Placid, New York. But anyway, so we're up there. The movie ends, and I, I, I'm so sad to tell I haven't watched it since because it's 12,000 hours long. But we get to the end of it, and it just stops really abruptly. And we kind of sit there for a minute, and being the scholars that we are, who've clearly read the book, we're like, is that it? Is there like a hidden scene after the credits? Let's stick around, you know what I mean? But then like the credits were as long as the book. We're like, we have to go. We have to eat, you know? It was so crazy long. And then it said to be continued. And it was like 12 years later, they were gonna make part two. I'm, okay, it was like the next year, but still. But we left with the sense of like, are you freaking kidding me? Like we have to wait a year and a half to know what's gonna happen because we're not reading the book. It's too long. That's kind of how I feel when it comes to a lot of these scriptures. You know what I mean? Like we, we, we start digging into the word. We read about the rich young ruler. I went to Bible college. So I'm going to drop some theology on you guys. Uh, three things about this guy. He was rich. He was young. He was a ruler. You're welcome. <laughs> Stuff like that. But that one doesn't really end well. Do you know what I mean? That one doesn't end with like this huge salvation story and he clings to Jesus and follows him all the days of his life. We kind of don't know. We're left with the to be continued. We won't know for couple thousand years. You know what I mean? Like we don't know. And so I'm finding when a lot of your kids get into our student ministry, they're wrestling. They're struggling. They are wondering if all the stuff they have heard from Clubhouse all the way up to now, even what I'm telling them, is that really true? Did that really happen? And that can be super scary. And everything in me that wants to control the environment just wants to talk them into believing. I just want to convince them. If I could tell them a really good story with an awesome antidote, throw in two jokes, I got them. You know what I mean? If I can make this fun enough, they'll want to come back and maybe, maybe they'll start to believe. But the truth is, doubt seeps into every one of our hearts, doesn't it? And we're scared of doubt. We're basically told to get away from doubt. You know, a, a couple of verses in Mark 9, 24, there's the guy who wants his son healed. And what does he say to Jesus? I do believe, but help me with the part that doesn't believe. Help me with my doubt. Do you ever notice Jesus didn't hold it against him that he doubted? He went on to heal his son, right? We're told in Matthew 21, have faith and do not doubt. Telling me not to doubt is kind of the same way I feel when somebody's like, don't, be, don't cry. I didn't turn this on for you. I can't, or my favorite, don't be mad, calm down. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That doesn't help me calm down, right? I mean, you're just gonna tell me not to doubt. How do you just not doubt? Everybody, real quick, whatever you're doubting about, stop. Don't doubt. All right, we're dismissed. You guys like me best of all the speakers because we're gonna be first to the restaurant, right? How do we just not doubt? And yet we're told in Mark 11, you know what? When you pray, have no doubt in your heart. Oh, okay. And then we're told in James 1, 6, well, when you're praying, ask without doubting. But how do we do this without doubting? We're constantly told to almost be scared of doubt, to shove it away. And then what about Thomas? Thomas himself, it kind of stinks for him that he got this nickname from like later on in life. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, and then doubting Thomas showed up, right? <laughs> Thomas actually, he had a couple other encounters with Jesus. Um, he had one when Jesus was basically trying to explain to him that he was going to go away and, and make a place for us, make a new home for us. 
And he kind of panicked. And maybe you'd call that doubt. I just call that passion, okay? I think he was a little worried that the guy he had left everything for, that he loved more than life itself, that he would live and die and bleed for. You're like, whoa, 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 where are you going? Where, where are you going? This is like my kids when I get up to like go to the bathroom. Where, where are you going? Hugs and kisses. I'm like, I, I have to pee. I don't know. I'll be right back, you know? <laughs> I can't get anywhere. Like we're hugging and kissing before we get the mail. I'm like, I'm coming back, right? Jesus is trying to explain to Thomas, I'm coming back, and he freaks out. And maybe you would call that doubt, but there was something in this. The disciples didn't like go home every night. You know what I mean? They, they left everything to be with Jesus. And so the thought of him leaving them and going somewhere else, even if you are building me a house, that's kind of weird. I've never seen you do that, but whatever. You do you. But that's scary. Don't leave us. And then later on, when Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick, do you guys remember this passage of scripture? You don't even have to turn there. Um, I'm not going to either. I'm just going to tell you what it says. Denise's version, it's wild. Um, he finds out that Lazarus is sick. And I love Jesus because I love him for a lot of reasons, but it says he really loved um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He really loved them. And then there's the part I don't get. So because he loved them, he just stayed a couple more days where he was. Like, get here. He's sick, right? Come on, get over here. So he, he stays behind. And then a couple days later, he tells his disciples, they had just left Judea where Lazarus was. He tells his disciples, all right, we're going to go to Judea. Lazarus is sick. And they go on like high alert, panic. No, dude, they want to kill you kill you. They want to kill you. They want to stone you. If we go back there, your good is dead. And if your good is dead, let's not lie here. We're probably good as dead too. I'm not ready for that. They didn't want to go back yet, right? Right? And guess who spoke up being all William Wallace of the whole group? It wasn't Peter. Peter might get all Vincent Van Gogh on some dude's ear, but it wasn't Peter. It wasn't John who he loved. It was Thomas. Thomas is the one who was like, no, nah, dude, if he goes, sorry, I, I talked to youth and it sounds so stupid. But anyway, if he goes, we go. If he goes to die, then we're going to go die with him. He is not going by himself. That was Thomas. Why don't we say that about Thomas? Why don't we talk about Thomas the brave? You know? Oh, you're such a doubting Thomas. Why don't we ever be like, wow, you are so passionate, just like Tom. We don't ever do that. For some reason, we remember the one negative thing that he did. We remember the one bad choice he made. How many of us do that? We live from a place of that one bad choice we made, that one stupid thing I did, that one tragedy that happened to me, that one diagnosis, that one thing that got said to me, that one time I was rejected. We live from that place and we allow it to define us for the rest of our lives. That one time I got rejected. That one time I was left out. That one time I was talked about. That one time he broke up with me. That one time I just I prayed and you didn't answer me. That one time it felt like you weren't even there. That one time I begged you to be here. Where were you? We doubt ourselves, we doubt God. And we sort of camp out and move in here. Doubt itself is one of those things that is not this horrible, awful thing. It's sort of what you do with it. Jesus himself doubted. He was in the garden struggling with the idea, God, are you sure there's not another way? Isn't that doubt? Isn't that in that moment saying, I'm not real sure I want to go through with this. I get that this was the point, but I don't think I can do it now. We all struggle with doubt. Parents, your kids are going to doubt. 
you can't make them not doubt. In the same way that you can't make yourself stop doubting, you can't, you can't make them stop doubting. You can't talk them into Jesus. It'd be awesome. If that was possible, it would have already happened. I talk a lot. Really. You can't convince them. Think about Thomas. Thomas was one of the 12. Think about what he saw. Think about it. He was there for all those miracles. He was there when they're counting bread in a basket and going, how on earth did this just happen? They watched the guy that they passed every day that couldn't walk and he's running around like a maniac. They talked to the guy that couldn't see and afterwards he was talking about what everything looked like and trying to figure out what colors were. He was there. He saw it. So many of us think, man, if our kids could just experience God, God, if you would just let this happen to me, then I wouldn't doubt you anymore. You know what? We need to stop seeing doubt as this awful place that we live and start seeing it as a bridge that God places in our life so that we can grow in our faith in him. Don't be afraid of your doubt. I know that's like, calm down. But don't be afraid of your doubt. I'm not telling you to not doubt, but don't be scared of it. You can lean into it. Jesus isn't scared of your doubt. He's not worried that your kid is questioning everything that you taught. And some of y'all, you are amazing parents. I feel like a total poser even trying to talk about parenting. Notice I haven't gotten there yet. But if you're doing something cool that I like, chances are pretty good. I'm just copying you. I'm just running everybody else's playbook. I don't know what the heck is going on. We're just like crossing our fingers that they turn out kind of okay. Anybody with me? Yes? I hate parenting books, I'm not gonna lie. Oh my gosh, I feel like garbage when I'm done reading them. I'm like, well, that's four hours, I'll never get back. We're doing everything wrong, Jeremy, everything. (laughs) Seriously, I stopped at chapter two. We're doing it all wrong, you know? I need somebody to write a parenting book that says things that you actually can reverse. That would be awesome. Why don't y'all get on that? I might might be alone in that, but yeah. You know what I'm talking about? They make me crazy nervous, but this is what I love. Thomas, I mean, he doubted. Can we just read this passage one more time? We're going to start in verse, I can't see because the light, I think it's, it's 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin. This frustrates me to no end. There's no reason he was called the twin. I mean, I guess he was a twin. It makes no mention of the twin. Why is that in here? Whatever. <laughs> Don't you ever just stop and go, really? Like, I feel like I'll have some questions once we get to heaven, but I feel like I know once we see Jesus, all the questions will go away. But why? Why say that? The twin of doubt lived inside him. Anyway, okay. But the t- Thomas the twin was not with him when Jesus came. So the other disciples came and told him, we have seen the Lord. But what did Thomas say to them? Well, unless I see the hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. That's intense, y'all. I will never believe. Unless I can put my fingers in those holes. Unless I can put my hand in his side, I am not going to believe that that's him. No way. So eight days later, what had happened beforehand, what um, Tendria read for us, the disciples had all gathered together. It was the first day of the week, so we can only guess they had gathered to worship. The person that they worshipped had been killed, so they were scared for their lives. They gathered in a room, locked the door, and then Jesus decided to do some like magic tricks and just, you know, can you imagine him standing outside the door and God's like, should we unlock it? No, dude, watch this. You know, and he just like appears in front of everybody. The door's locked. They're all like, dude, how did you get in here? That's crazy, right? It's amazing. And I I love Jesus because he he immediately says, peace be with you. Calm down, right? He immediately says, peace be with you. And then he offers his hands and his side. He's like, go ahead and touch him. It's me, you guys. It's me. It's me. 
And I love in that moment, because if you really think about it, Jesus rose from the dead. That's pretty extreme, right? He could have risen from the dead totally healed with no sign of anything that had just happened on that cross. He could have come back completely healed, no scars, all clean, woohoo, right? But instead, he came back with the proof, with the evidence that was right here. And there's a part of me that wonders, did he come back with that proof and evidence just for a guy named Thomas? Just for good old Tom the Brave? Did he do that? Maybe. He appears to them and he says, peace, everybody, it's just me. So then when it happens again, Thomas has just said, no, 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 y'all can be all excited that you saw Jesus. I won't believe it until, not even until I see it. It's kind of incorrect that we say that. I won't believe it until I feel it. I won't believe it until I experience it. So eight days later, the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, I love that Jesus showed up in the exact same way. Thomas didn't get a second-rate miracle because he had doubt in his heart. Thomas got the exact same entrance that the, the, the other guys got. All the other dudes were there, except for Judas. It's sad, but yeah, everybody else was there. They were all there. They were all present to worship. And honestly, the person they worshiped was dead. What did that Sunday morning meeting look like? <sighs> we're just here to be together. We're just here to comfort each other. How did this happen? How did God let this happen to us? Doesn't he remember all the things that Jesus did? Why, why is he gone? Maybe it was less about coming in and somebody break out a guitar and it was more about them just being together and comforting one another and being a group, being a community, being a family, helping each other. We're gonna get through this together. We don't know any other way, but Thomas was absent. Because you know what doubt ends up doing to our hearts is it causes us to disconnect. If you want to feed the doubt in your heart, withdraw. And isn't that what we usually do? We begin to doubt someone's love for us, so we back off. We doubt that somebody truly cares for us. That's cool. I'm fine. We doubt that God is listening to us. We shut down. We doubt that he's real. We start doubting his goodness. I love something that Tim Holler said in, in, in that, that Saturday morning. It was the most freeing thing I've ever heard. Let's pretend I said it. It's so good. But he said God was the perfect father. Wasn't he? Yes. He is the perfect father. He'd be like PTO dad, you know what I mean, and ride bikes with you, and he hugged you enough. And yet doing all the stuff that he did, he was awesome. His first kid strayed. His daughter, his first daughter, doubted his goodness. After he did everything right, his first daughter still thought, he's holding out on me. He just doesn't want me to really be happy. He doesn't want me to know all of these things, and then I won't need him. He doesn't want me to be strong and independent. He doesn't want this. She doubted his goodness. She doubted who he was. And from then on, all of his kids have been straying. Every one of us, even though we have a perfect father, we stray, we walk away, we want to rule ourselves. We let doubt cloud our heart to the point that we forget how good he was, even though, like Thomas, we've seen so much. We've been through so much. And we have a whole book to read so much. He has done miraculous things for us, and yet we still doubt. I have known some of the most amazing parents that are incredible. I run their playbook, and their kids still doubted God, and they walked away from him. 
And I have known parents that have nothing to do with their children. I don't want to call them bad. That sounds judgmental, but let's wink, wink. You know what I'm saying? And their kids end up being awesome, passionate lovers and followers of Jesus. I know it's tempting moms and dads to want to take the credit when our kids do something good. I sure do. I want that to mean I did something right. But then we get in this defeatist attitude when our kids do something and behave in a way that we don't like that, well, now I'm doing something wrong. We're all doing everything wrong. And every now and then we might do a few things right, but you know what? Even in those moments, God has got our children. God has got your children. I love what Chris and Becky said last week. It's so weird to think about your kids as being your brothers and sisters in Christ at the same time, isn't it? That's weird. It's weird enough with your spouse, but then with your kids, hey there, brother, you know? Put her there, right? But it's strange, but it makes discipline different. It makes the way we love them different. I read A Praying Life, which is not a parenting book, but it should be. It's awesome by Paul Miller. And he was talking about how disciplining your children, it's a slow process. And to somebody like me who is always late and always in a hurry, that is just the worst thing ever. But if you're truly going to discipline your child, you have to slow it down. Because as parents, we can't just tweak and change behavior. We're trying to get to their hearts. Your kids are going to doubt. Don't you doubt? Did you doubt? Have you ever doubted God's faithfulness to you? I remember praying like crazy for my friend Sean that she would be healed. And she went to heaven instead. And I doubted God. I think for a good year I didn't ask for anything. Doubt flooded me. He didn't answer me. Why didn't he answer my prayer? Why couldn't he heal her? Where are you? This can't be the way. And that doubt pushed me to a place of just disconnect from him. He was the last place I wanted to go. He didn't feel like a safe refuge. He felt like someone who ignores me. He felt like someone who doesn't answer my prayers. It's easy to take on a works mentality after that. Well, it must be something I did. I must have done something wrong to deserve this. I didn't do enough of this. The reality is this, everybody. Doubt comes into our heart. And when we disconnect, we are just like feeding it. It's interesting that in this passage, how much time do I have? I'll shut up in just a minute. It's interesting that in this passage, after Jesus appears to his disciples, he stops to breathe on them and fill them with the Holy Spirit. And then he talks about forgiveness. Do you ever notice that forgiveness always seems to be in his wheelhouse every time he's talking? Isn't that interesting? Because for most of us, the one place where we stop and that seed of doubt gets dropped in us, it's because we are struggling to forgive somebody that said something, something that happened to me, or God for letting it happen to me. We struggle to forgive ourselves. I can't believe I did that. I know better. I shouldn't have done that. Think of all that I've seen. And it's crazy, too, because, man, when y'all were little, did y'all ever get, like, the little styrofoam cup at school, and you put a little seed inside of it, and you brought it home, and you were super excited because you're like, Mom, we're going to have a sequoia, you know, and they put it in the, in the windowsill, <laughs> 
And like every day, you're totally annoying. Some of your kids have done this, but you know you did it too. This is like classic 80s. This is up there with Back to the Future. And every day, you're just like, is it growing? Is it growing? Is it growing? And your mom's probably like, oh my God, yes, it's growing. We just can't see it. It all happens under the surface first, right? And just all the stupid like things that we say. And then before long, a couple weeks go by, that styrofoam cup is long gone. It was dirty. You, you overwatered it. You killed the thing. Nothing's growing. It's gone. You didn't remember it until I just said it right now, and now you're bitter again. Let it go. Calm down, okay? <laughs> But do you know what's crazy about unforgiveness? All it takes, before that seed can even hit the ground, you could have an oak tree. It is crazy how fast unforgiveness can grow in our hearts. It's insane. All it takes is the tiniest little offense, the one little thing that gets said, the one let down, the one little bitty bit of doubt. And when we don't stop and address it and show it the light of day, man, something happens and it begins to grow inside of us to where we can't even see our way out. Sometimes our doubt causes us to withdraw and disconnect in a way that we can't even get back to him if we wanted to. He's, where is he? I can't see. But here's Jesus. Because what do we do? What are we supposed to do when we doubt then? What do we do with, with our children, with our teenagers when they're doubting? What do we tell them? If there's nothing I can say that can fix it, then what on earth am I supposed to do? Well, what did Jesus do to Thomas's doubt? Eight days later, his disciples were inside, and Thomas this time was with him. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them. I love that Jesus is relentless in his love for us. We don't even have to chase him. He is going to chase us down. That prodigal son came home, and dad didn't like sit on the steps and wait for him to get all the way out. What did he do? He kicked off his shoes, and he ran to the end of the driveway. He wanted to see his boy. That's our God. That's Jesus. Relentless towards us knowing that they are struggling, knowing that Thomas is in that room. He wasn't there last time. He didn't have the decency to show up because he's disconnected. He doesn't want to go be around the brothers. He doesn't want to be encouraged. Something happens and we let that doubt stay there too long and we just want it to turn into our depression. It can become the reason that I don't want to be around you. You don't understand. You don't get it. My situation is worse than yours. I'm sure there's a clause in here somewhere that actually says, I don't have to forgive because mine is bad. So Jesus comes in, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, oh, I freaking love him. Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand, place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. I love that even way back then, Jesus was thinking about us. We're blessed. I've never laid my eyes on him. I can't wait. But until then, we are blessed because we believe. But he did not reject Thomas. He didn't walk in that room and be like, oh, you decided to come this time. Welcome. <laughs> Glad you could make it. Were you busy? <laughs> he didn't fold his arms and reject him. He didn't give him a long lecture, did he? He just said two words, just believe. And to help you out, to help you believe, give me your hand. Just put it right here. I let it still be a wound because I, I knew this moment was going to happen. I'm not rejecting you because you're struggling to believe me. I'm gonna help you believe me. You can't dismantle doubt in your heart, I can. You cannot extinguish doubt in the heart of your child, but he can. So what do we do with our kids when they come to us and they're doubting? 
What do we do with ourselves when we know I'm struggling to believe you, Jesus? Well, what Jesus did was he gave us his body. It's usually the last place we want to go, isn't it? This is not an infomercial to come to youth group, but if you take it that way, that's fine. (laughs) Jesus gave you his body. It's the purpose of us gathering together today. We don't call ourselves the body of Christ because it's a fun little thing that we picked up. We are his body. We're his body on the earth. So when you're doubting, it's not so much that I can talk you back into it if you just come around. You are part of me. So when you're doubting, come here. Touch my wounds. I've been hurt too. We are a messed up, broken body of believers that are following after Jesus because we know what awaits for us. He went to make a place for us. He went to make my home for me. So until then, when I struggle to doubt, I need to touch his body. You can't withdraw from the body and expect your doubt to be extinguished. Parents, you can't let your kid decide they're not gonna come be a part of the body. Their busyness will lead to their doubt one day. Their overscheduling will lead to their doubt one day. Their lack of relationships will cause them to disconnect and doubt will fester. And the same is true for us. The body might be the last place we want to go when we're doubting. It's the first place we should go. And not with the expectation that the body needs to be perfect for me. Only Jesus can fix us. Last verse. Two verses. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. We don't even have the whole story, you guys. That kind of makes me crazy. That's a long book I would read. But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. I don't know much about parenting. I'm just like crossing my fingers that my kids are going to be okay. But I know this. I know that more than anything, I cannot model perfection before them because I am so far from perfect. But one thing I can model before them is that the body of Christ is part of my life. I don't live disconnected from the body. I'm needy for the body. I know everything else in life, we're trying to get so good at it that we can do it by ourselves. Jesus is the opposite. We're supposed to get so bad at it that we can't do it without him. Jesus himself didn't do anything without looking to see if the Father was doing it first. Why do we go it alone so much? Why do we try to be so strong and so tough and figure it out? This is more than, well, it takes a village. This is about us being a body. This is about us being with each other. This is about our kids seeing that my parents don't go it alone, man. It's weird. They have these people. They pray together. They love each other. Yeah, we go to church all the time. I have to go to youth group. I, have to, I go to clubhouse. And you know what? In every one of these places, we are echoing your voice at home. We're making your voice louder. We're not trying to take your place. We would never want to do that. Believe me. I have a four going on 14-year-old at my house. I'm going to need therapy before it's all over with. But seriously, we are a body because we need each other. We're a body because this is what Jesus did for us. When we doubted, he did not reject me. He did not lecture me. He wasn't mad at me. He wasn't let down by me and disappointed. He didn't shake his head. Baby girl, you know better. 
Remember all you saw. He just gave me him. He gives us himself. I love our teenagers so much. I don't want you to all come because that would make it weird, but I love in the moments when we have like small group and they start talking through, wrestling through what they believe. Please don't be scared of them doubting. God chose them to sit under the gospel message of Jesus Christ every Wednesday night. He picked them to do that. The Holy Spirit will grow that faith that is in their heart. The very gift to believe in God, he will put inside of them and they will believe. But let's be a body. Get them around the body. It's more than just going to church. It's building. It's when everything in me says, I want to pull back and I want to withdraw. I can't. I lean in. There's probably no better time than for us to take communion I love that we do this every week. I love the picture of Jesus sitting at that table for their last meal together. And he broke the bread and he offered it to his guys, his best buds. He even offered it to Thomas, who he knew would doubt him, who he knew struggled with doubt. He offered it to the guy that would sell him out so that he would die. He had the same MO for every one of them. And today, he offers us him, his broken body. And so as we take the bread and we, take, we, we drink the cup today, man, so grateful for his blood that washed me clean, that makes me clean. I'm washed. Can we think about all this today? Wrestle with your doubt. Push in, lean in, connect. Please don't pull away. It's so dangerous to pull away. Jesus, we love you so much. I am overwhelmed by you. You have seen through all that we are going through, all that we struggle with, all of the lies that try to root themselves down in our heads and our hearts and make us believe things that are not true. We've walked away from you in times that we doubted your goodness, that we doubted your love for us. We've been frustrated when our prayers weren't answered the way we wanted. We've been offended. We have offended. But today, Jesus, we ask you to forgive us and we lay all of this at your feet. And we thank you that even in the midst of our doubt and our darkness and our disconnect, you come to us in impossible circumstances. You are with us and you give yourself to us. We love you, Jesus. We love you.